Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. And I'm Rebecca. And this is the Yikes Podcast. everyone and welcome back to a brand new season of the yikes podcast the podcast about all the things that make us yikes and feel overwhelmed but instead we want to transform that energy into action um, and yeah season four is going to be really exciting so yeah we're so glad that we'll be starting it off this way yeah so excited to be back uh actually can't wait for this season like i feel like we have yeah just really cool stuff happening and it's been the break has been good but we're so excited to be back and yeah kind of like dive into lots of new topics Mm. and deepen previously discussed topics so today we have a really exciting guest on the podcast who's been on the podcast before we're so excited about this and we have Hassan Akkad um, back to have a chat with us about his book yeah it's super exciting we loved the first episode like in like early early days Mm. uh, where we talked a lot about like mental health and kind of like yeah just like the UK like historic history and uh yeah like kind of like the journey um of of Hassan a little bit and yeah this this time we like dive like a little bit deeper into kind of like why he documented um so he wrote a book Hope Not Fear which is out should be up by now it comes out the 2nd of September and you all should buy this book Michaela and I hype it up a lot uh, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's incredible and yeah like we want everyone to read this, but um, yeah, it kind of follows his journey from Damascus to London and then him being a cleaner on the COVID wards during the pandemic and um, yeah, like kind of like who he met there and what it meant for him to be there and um, how he kind of like sees Britain at this point mm. and also that kind of like the politi- political uh, discussions that are going on right now in the UK around like the immigration bill and um, the policing bill and lots more. Yeah, and um, just to... Add some clarity to one bit. So Hassan was someone who, through a viral video that he made during the first lockdown when he was working as a cleaner on a COVID ward in London, um, he basically forced a government U-turn because the the UK government had announced that they were allowing leave to remain for family members of those who passed away during the working in hospitals during the COVID pandemic. They didn't include um, staff such as cleaners. They only included medical staff in that. And Hassan made a video calling for Boris Johnson um, to listen to the fact that um, people who are working as cleaners and other kind of non-medical staff also should be protected and they should be valued because they're also doing an important and life-saving job and that video forced a government u-turn and that's something that we talk about in the podcast episode we wanted to make it clear what we are talking about there um we're so excited about this honestly his book is so good so mm-hmm. go and get it now like it's such an important book it will really transform you i think mm-hmm. genuinely like it broke my heart mended it again it's fantastic mm-hmm. i can't recommend it more and this was such a lovely and amazing conversation. Hassan is an absolute gem. Yeah. So I'm so excited for you all to listen and he will introduce himself a bit more um, as we get into the episode. Yeah. And also, um, yeah, like follow all of his socials and stuff and yeah, like engage with his work. Like it's incredible and just send him lots of support also mm-hmm. for the book. Like, um, yeah, and get it for all your pals and family members. I mm-hmm. think something that, yeah, we, we all can just learn so much from and it will transform all of us. the amazing Hassan Akkad here today to um, talk to us. We had Hassan on, on the podcast before, um, over a year ago mm. now, which is wild that so much has changed in, in that time. Um, but Hassan, we're so excited to have you here. Would you like mind introducing yourself for all of us? Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, my name is Hassan Akkad. I am a documentary filmmaker. I am, um, uh, I think, a, a, a semi-activist and uh, I am I'm, I'm, I'm about to be an author. I mean, I am an author. I'm about to publish yes. a book. And uh, I'm from Damascus, Syria. I live in London. And yeah, that's me. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I love the semi-activist and the <laughs> author about to. Um, <laughs> you underplay yourself you underplay way too yourself. much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you've, you've done so many, like, amazing, incredible things. And you're, like, I don't know, a classic um, multi-hyphenate person. I feel like so many, so many people now, it's so many, like, I am a this dash this dash this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, we're so like excited to chat to you because Joe and I both recently um, finished reading the kind of proof copy of your book and oh, I don't even know how to do a start. Yeah. Like I find it really hard to put into words because it genuinely had a hugely profound impact mm-hmm. on me, I know. And I know that Joe like felt really similar. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't put it down. I read it in like a day and a half and like want to go back. And yeah, I don't know. I was between sobbing and there were like, points where I was laughing and I was in public spaces and I was just like what's going on but it's like yeah it really profoundly like I feel like changed me and touched me in so many ways Mm. and I just will never want to read this book Mm. (laughs) so uh yeah it's really amazing that you're here and we can chat about it a little bit and hype everyone up to like go and get it yes definitely (laughs) um yeah but I guess yeah we wanted to kind of ask you like yeah why why did you think of writing this book and um yeah and why now and why now? Um, thank you. Um, um, so Hope Not Fear um, is my memoir. And when, my, when a lot of people have been asking me the past uh, 18 months, what are, you, what are you up to? And I said, oh, I'm writing in my memoir. And the very first thing they ask is, uh, how old are you? Um, because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm 33 years old, but um, a lot has happened in the past 10 years. Uh, I mean, in the last, in the past 15 years, actually, of my life. So it did feel like there is a story to tell. Um, um, it wasn't the first time that I shared my story. I shared my story on podcasts. I shared my story, like, in, 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 in a documentary. But I never had um, full agency or, like, full authorship in how I tell my story or what do I tell, what parts of the story do I tell. Why now? I think it's because I had a lot of time on my hand during lockdown um, and it just felt natural that I could fill that time with writing. Um, The idea of writing a memoir has been there for the past four years. I was approached by a literary agent around four years ago who asked me like there's definitely a story, there's a book there and I nearly like signed but then I backed out because of I think I was held back by my survival's guilt because like, why might, why do I get to share my story? Why not other, like there are so many other people with stories are, which, which are way more interesting than mine. So why me? So I backed out and then uh, I did a podcast two years later and then I was approached by a really big publishing company and they said there, there's a book there. And I said, I went for meetings and then I backed out. I just didn't feel ready. I didn't feel ready, but I guess the past couple of years and what happened I mean, the pandemic and my work around the, around the pandemic, I felt like I came full circle and I felt like, okay, now it makes sense that I can write because now um, my perception of, 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 what, of, of life uh, has definitely changed in the past couple of years. And also, I wanted to write about my experience living in the UK um, and... I just didn't feel ready after arriving in two years to write because I didn't, I wasn't, I I was still a bit lost. I was a bit vulnerable. I had, I mean, I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough material to to, to write about um, my journey in in, in the UK, not getting to the UK because there's one thing to get to your destination, but there's another journey where you have to like, you know, navigate life here and, and, uh, um and yeah having lived here for five years I I felt like okay now I can now I can write about it Mm. 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 no I feel like I think when I was reading it it made it all make sense I don't know I made it made sense why you'd chosen this time and I think that like the way that you tied in your your life in Syria and your whole journey and also the time during um especially the the kind of part of working in hospitals in the COVID-19 pandemic I found that really impactful because I I know that um, for me, I was not in the height of lockdown, but I was on wards during the lockdown, but I wasn't on COVID wards and I got a very different perspective. And it was also, I found it really impactful to get the perspective of non-medical staff who were working during that time um because it is a it's a completely different and really important perspective. And, and from, from hearing that it made me, I think really, really appreciate and realize how much I think, I can also not be appreciative of, of non-medical staff and the and the role that they play and the important role and also the risk that people are taking, especially during that time. And it definitely gave me like a whole new perspective on the last year. And yeah, it just all made sense to me. Like everything mm. kind of came together really well. Similarly, I felt like because I because I I, I worked on a COVID ward for two and for like for for like sixty five days. It wasn't that long. 
during the first wave. Uh, and because I was uh, spending my time around non-medical staff and um, 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 I lived for four years in Britain, but I never like all my friends are quite privileged. All my friends come from like middle class families, and I also, I mean, I was, I mean, I was living a very, I mean, a semi comfortable life where I can afford to travel and go on holidays and like have access to like you know the um, um, have access in this country, which the, the people that I met, who the people I met in in, in the hospital didn't. So they mm-hmm. uh, being with them and like working with them did open my eyes um, a lot, and it gave me perspective. And I felt like that that is very important to write about. And uh, I wa- I mean, I was I wasn't entirely sure that I uh, th- like who am I to write about it? But I am an outsider in a way. I'm an outsider to to um, still an outsider in a way in this country and also still an outsider I mean I was an outsider to the hospital so I could see things in a way that they didn't necessarily see it and I mm. and I and, and that what motivated me to write that what pushed me to write mm. no it was really like also just like yeah hearing about like the people you met and like um I remember you also like yeah like taking pictures and sharing them online of like Gimba and Albert and like I don't know it's just like Yeah, just like really nice also like even within your own memoir, like send you know, like having like I don't know, getting to know those people in a way where usually their stories aren't told and you know, and like actually like yeah, and like knowing that like we could learn so much from them. And um yeah, I don't know, I guess it also like made me think of like when you when like the government was saying like how Yeah, like they would support people like as like medical staff or other people, but like non for like not for example the cleaners who were working on the hospital and like mm-hmm. you raising like you know you using different platforms to yeah like kind of like get the government to do U turn and stuff like I don't know it's just yeah and then and then but be, still being able to like yeah also have pictures of Gimba and Albert and other people as well it's just like really really amazing and like it's so rarely done which is just it's it was it was it, it was my tool it was it was a tool i mean i i do uh, i i do have certain skills i i i i can photograph i can i i like to observe what's happening around me so and and i know when there is a story so i like gimba and albert and all of these people that i met on the on the ward they had profound stories and they are such profound people and i wanted to i wanted to I wanted the world to know about them. And I, it was very surreal because it, it literally started with me on my smartphone taking pictures of them in, 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 mm. um, in a lunch break, um, um, uh, during lunch break in the, in the staff room. But then, you know, Gimba's picture ended up being on the screens at Piccadilly Circus um, <laughs> as part of the Hold Still uh, <laughs> exhibition with the Duchess of Cambridge. So it was... You know, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I didn't know that it will get here. I didn't know that it's going to be. It, it was going to be. It's going to end up on billboards around the country. The her portraits, um, but um, I'm glad I followed my instinct of to, to to tell to tell their stories with their permission, of course. I mean, I had to have their permission to tell their stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one thing that um, how you, I think how you tell other people's stories perhaps shows how maybe how like you your story hasn't been told in the way that you wanted it to be told in the past and that has had an impact on that and that's really important and that's something that I'd, I'd love to kind of touch on is um I think so often in in media and in especially in kind of like documentary or non-fiction media um there is this kind of exploitation of of people who have been made vulnerable and of trauma for profit for people who aren't in that position um, and that's something that you do kind of touch on in the book. And I'm not sure how much you want to go into that, but um, what are your, yeah, what are your kind of like thoughts about um, about storytelling in that way and, and and the need for people to have control over their own stories? I mean, it's such an incredible point because I personally um, had um, an experience where I, well, I mean, was featured in a documentary where my story was told and I didn't have any con- any editorial control of my, how my story was told or how I was or how I was perceived. I mean, I, back then, I, when when the, when the documentary was out, I was I was very pleased with it. I was like going and doing talks about it, and but I what I didn't know the effects that it had on me until I until I refl- like until a couple of years later, three three years later, when I had enough time to reflect. Uh, the problem with 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 um, um, 
it's not very diverse um, on, on who's telling stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I feel like us. I mean, I I am Muslim. I'm I'm Arab. I'm, I'm I didn't. There aren't many people from my background who have the editorial control of how we tell our stories. People, mm-hmm. what happened in the past five years, especially for Syrians or refugees or even not Syrians, like refugees from around the world, is that they people were telling our stories um they they they, and we had no control um Mm -hmm. on how our stories were told i I touched on this in the book from my own experience um because i i wanted people to know that agency really matters you know control really matters how you how you choose to to, like your your choice in how you tell your story really matters for your mental health, for your well-being, and also for like um, how you want the world to view you. Because there's no shame in being vulnerable. Like I am very vulnerable in my memoir, um, mm. but that was my decision. I made that decision. You know, it, it wasn't that someone had made the decision on my behalf. I think what people can do, like filmmakers or like um, journalists um, or authors who interview other people, is that they can offer a platform. But I feel like we have to have like people who are being interviewed or people who are being you know whose stories are being told we have to have also a we have to have a saying in in our mm. how our stories are being told mm. no absolutely i think you can i know i i found that it also makes you more comfortable hearing someone's story if you know that they feel comfortable with how it's being told like that's what i think was was really powerful in in the vulnerability in reading your vulnerability in your book is because you chose to give that to us like it was your choice to do that and that is really powerful and I think that I also want to like thank you for that because um it felt I think having spoken to you before it felt kind of like really intimate to be reading so many things about your life and also it felt it just did feel really powerful that you've made this choice that you didn't have to to share these parts of your life but also that 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 was a choice that you made and I think that that's what you're saying is like vulnerability isn't vulnerability definitely isn't a bad thing like it's really powerful and it can it can create change and it can really change things but the the important point is that there has to be kind of like agency and consent around Mm. that vulnerability and perhaps that doesn't happen in a lot of other media forms and I think so often that's when all this like saviorism can come in because it's other people making choices for other people saying that they're helping when actually they can be causing so much more harm and especially environmental health which is yeah something that you've talked a lot about yeah it's it's uh, it was the i mean in in hope not fear i wanted to be vulnerable and i also wanted to be very honest i wanted to write about who i was um mm-hmm. <laughs> growing up and what my ideas were and what my politics were and what i thought what my thoughts were and it doesn't i mean i wasn't the nicest <laughs> i wasn't the nicest person <laughs> back then I, I had some very questionable thoughts as, 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 as you have read but it was important for me to write about that i didn't mm. want to you know it's difficult when writing a memoir when you have ptsd and let me tell you why because the thing about ptsd especially when you have complex ptsd in my situation is that your self-esteem is always um not great <laughs> mm. and um um you, um, um, also like it plays on your confidence um, I'm, I'm often not very confident um, in, in so many situations but I wanted to write about who like who I was and because I wanted to who I was before so, like these massive changes that happened in my life because I wanted to to for readers to know that people deserve a second chance, you know? Mm-hmm. Pe- pe- uh, people do deserve, not. I mean, deserve to be heard, deserve to be given another chance. And they also, like, uh, because, because we're not perfect <laughs> as mm-hmm. humans. I have made so many mistakes in my life. I have, I, I mean, I still do. And I, 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 and I try to apologize to the people that I, did, I wasn't great to them. Um, and that's why I made a decision to write about all these things that I have done and said, which were very wrong in the past, because I wanted people to know that it's it's okay to make a mistake if you learn from it. Mm. And that well, that's so powerful, just because I think that we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, um, especially over the last few months, is how much when you put this p- perfect idea of an individual and put someone on a pedestal, 
it one dehumanizes that individual because no one is actually perfect and secondly it actually disempowers other people to realize that all of us have a capacity to be transformed and to change mm. um i think it's really important for us to be honest about like where we've come from and, and who we are and the fact that we are gonna like mess up and do things i do also remember though hassan that i did a post about this and about how people need to think critically about like different people they're seeing and you just commented like i've done my critical thinking and i've concluded that you're a legend <laughs> <laughs> and i remember laughing so much about um, <laughs> time to reflect <laughs> i remember that yeah <laughs> No, but it's so true, like, because it's so easy for us to say, like, oh, like, all of these, like, things that I know now, like, I've always thought them and stuff, which is, like, for most of us, it's really not true. Mm. Like, you know, like, I mean, I'm I'm definitely, like, still unlearning so much. And I know, like, I will always be because, like, living in societies which are exploitative and destructive to so many people and the the wider world in general like obviously i will have internalized so much of that and mm -hmm. like it'll be it would be so easy for me to say i'm beyond that but i'm not and like you know and like and also i think yeah like the kind of like allowing ourselves to acknowledge that is a way i guess also where we meet other people who are on similar journeys and being like hey like you know i thought this once and mm. like i don't know i was yeah, like i was able to like learn this new thing like you know like it's kind of mm. like this way of like pulling each other in and like being like you know i'm not beyond you you're not beyond me like let's mm. learn together in a way that mm. um and, and i guess there's a point at which you need to make sure it doesn't overwhelm you like mm. because the reality is we're all imperfect but that and that should empower us and not disempower us. I think mm. that, that it can get to an extent sometimes we, we can be so self-critical and then we're like, I'm so imperfect and not great. So I'm just not, I, like I can't or I don't deserve to do anything or don't deserve to like tell my story. But that, like we need to get that balance of, <laughs> of all of those things. But I guess it's really tricky. Yeah, mm. I agree. <laughs> and it's really what stuck with me also what you said is about learning and unlearning. It's it's um, because unlearning is a journey which doesn't stop. I feel like I mean I'm still mm. unlearning so many things, and uh, I hate judging people. I used to judge people quite a lot, which is like very wrong. And um, I I judge people who and I don't know about what they've gone through or like their experiences or what they like what they are actually going through on day to day basis in their lives. So mm. um, it is also another element or another thread of. Uh, in the book of why people deserve a second chance in life mm. you know especially mm. now i feel like because i genuinely feel like um you might disagree with me on this but i feel like sometimes the i mean i called out boris johnson on on twitter when they which we changed uh, when we did the u-turn but i feel like sometimes the call out culture sometimes it's a bit it goes i mean sometimes it's weight it's it goes out of control and mm -hmm. um um and I and I feel like people are deserve deserve to be to be heard, um, and um, they deserve to be you know to to, to given another chance um, before their lives like get absolutely cancelled um, mm -hmm. because of one thing that they've done wrong. I think I definitely like yeah. I, we agree on that as we've talked a bit about there's a really good book that I'd actually recommend on kind of like that idea of cancel cancel and call out culture and like linking it like I'm an abolitionist or a budding abolitionist and <laughs> and this book um it's called we will not cancel us and it's by Adrian Marie Brown and she it's like a pamphlet it's really short and she just talks about like how much in movement cancel culture especially like within our movements how we can let go or, or ignore a lot of the values we actually hold especially mm -hmm. around like the ability for all of us to transform and transformative justice and like all of that stuff and how sometimes we'll just let that go in the face of wanting to cancel each other or mm -hmm. and things like that and actually like rem reminding ourselves of our shared humanity can be important and that's a way that we can have accountability rather than cancelling because cancelling sometimes isn't accountability mm. um yeah i found her like book really powerful on that. what's the yeah. book called again um we will not cancel us we will not cancel um, us okay yeah it's really i would really it's i found it really like life affirming if that makes mm. sense like i i finished it and i was like 
this reminds me what I want to be doing in movement spaces and how often we can like get lost in the heat of Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess there's also like a difference between like people in power positions and like causing actively harm like i would like a few people in government to get cancelled <laughs> um but it's also because they're not in my you know community mm. like they're not part of community and they are like misusing their power structures to cause actively harm mm. to so like yeah i feel like they Boris johnson doesn't Boris johnson doesn't care about me cancelling him <laughs> i totally agree with you i mean i i, I mean calling out um the government um mm. it, it, I I fully condone that. I feel like accountability is you know it's like a it's a, it's part of democracy is that people held accountable. Mm. But I what and what I was trying to say is that sometimes there are cases or stories of people that I read online of someone had written a tweet uh, 15 years ago, uh, mm. which was which was very problematic back then, and then it resurfaced and they had to lose their job mm. because of it. Mm-hmm. And I and I genuinely that I I always stop. Uh, these stories and I'm like because for me at least in my case 15 years ago is it, uh, me is completely different to who I am right now and mm-hmm. am I I mean should I be tried right now and and like uh, and 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 you know and uh, be um uh be treated for for and I for what I thought about in, about life 15 years ago I, mm-hmm. I think I don't think it's fair to be honest yeah and also then how are we expecting like society to be transformed and changed if we don't allow people's space to be transformed and changed yes. and like yes. and to have grace for that yeah. and i think that's something that we can definitely like all think about. that's something that i like i definitely can judge people way too much and it's not helpful because <laughs> i don't think i would want the same amount of judgment mm-hmm. to be put on me and even like things that i would have said 15 years ago i would have been <laughs> very young 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> a bit silly um it's obviously been like over a year since we last um recorded a podcast episode and a lot has changed i mean you've written literally a whole book in that time um but also a lot has changed in the kind of political landscape and the world as a whole are there a few things that kind of have happened recently that you want to like raise awareness of or kind of have a conversation about and um, what kind of things do you think have come up in the last few months perhaps that's a really leading question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I mean, one of the main things that happened in the past few months is the new immigration bill, which mm. is um, a lot of act- a lot of organizations are calling it anti-refugees bill, because in mm. a way it is anti-refugees. I mean, the new immigration bill um, um, spearheaded by Priti Patel is uh, very problematic and it doesn't solve anything because... Um, it's gonna it's 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 gonna create a a two tier system where pe- where people's rights um, to seek asylum will be uh, judged on the journeys that they've taken to Britain. So, say for example that you were resettled, you're you're you were resettled from Turkey. You're a Syrian refugee who was in a, in, a, in a refugee camp in Turkey, and you were resettled to Britain. You will be given um, like refugee rights, and you will be granted asylum. But if you are someone who is from Afghanistan and you've done, you had to do the journey through Europe and like get here uh, in an irregular way, not illegal, mm-hmm. irregular, mm-hmm. Uh, then your rights to asylum will be limited. Your uh, rights for um, uh, family unification. Uh, you know, benefit claims will also be limited, which is very problematic because um, until now, people can't just go and walk into a British embassy uh, in their country and claim asylum or like get a humanitarian visa and fly to Britain. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. Resettlement is very limited to, to um, in terms of who can access uh, resettlement schemes and where they can access res- resettlement schemes. The, um, the government is thinking about um, an offshore... A detention center for people. I think Rwanda, they were talking about Rwanda where they mm-hmm. wanted to send people who get to Britain to these offshore centers until their their asylum claims are, are, are processed. And we know from the, this is basically an Australian way of dealing with asylum seekers, which is very inhumane. And mm-hmm. it, people get stuck in the detention centers for years and years and years until they can hear back. Uh, obviously, there were stories that were leaked about wave machines in the, in the channel uh they 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 were also talking about um 
you know, they wanted to, at some point, they wanted to send the Navy to stop uh, boats from coming in. Now, <laughs> it's often the case. Uh, I did a talk a couple of days ago, and I, I asked people to raise their hands if they've, like, read about refugees or migrants at least 10 times in the past couple of months, and everyone raised their hand. And the reason why is because... Um, Britain, I mean, the British government, like they like a migration crisis, they like a refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, even if there isn't one, because not even if there, there isn't one in Britain, you know, Britain is mm-hmm. home to less than 1% of the, of the refugees around the world. And the number of actually of the asylum claims this year compared to that has dropped compared to other years. Mm-hmm. But they like it, it's because it's a good distraction. It's, it's a, mm-hmm. a good distraction to the failures. It's, it's a good way of directing people uh, people's um anger and uh um uh, at the most vulnerable people in society because <laughs> it's um Br- britain is going through a lot i mean obviously brexit uh you've seen like empty shelves on supermarkets um it, of course corruption is rife of um in in the way they handle the pandemic but they point fingers at vulnerable people crossing the channel and say this is your problem you should be angry at that, not at us. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's my summary of what happened in the past four or five months in terms of migrants and refugees. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, like, I feel like, I mean, I came, like, I've been in the UK now for five years. And, like, to me, it's terrifying, like, how the UK, like, it's so open and how hostile it's getting mm. more and more and more. And, like, they, like... Yeah, I feel like every day, like something in the there's like something in the news or like something that the government does, where like they increase more and more hostility and like mm. right, like literally like call for like active hate and mm. like, and yeah, like as you said, like towards like the most vulnerable people that Britain has historically a role in creating those conditions in the first mm, place mm-hmm. and, um and I and also I feel like with like the immigration bill and like a lot of the messaging, increasingly of like. People are people deserve to be here when they do something for this country, like mm-hmm. something that also like during the pandemic, I feel like hit a lot of like, oh, yeah, like who's going to pick our fruit and like, oh, OK, like you're doing something for Britain. Therefore, like you you deserve, I don't know, like, um yeah, like your right to stay or like uh, or, you know, like I think France also did something around like, oh, if you help in the pandemic, you will get like Brit- French citizenship, which like. Like, people should have the right to stay anyways, regarding mm. of what they do. And, like, this is something that the government here pushes so much, while it's also fostering so much hate against, yeah, um, it's terrifying. And mm. and the fact that, like, they, like, when you say it's hostile, like, they coined the term hostile environment. I, I, every time I think about this, I'm like, like, the inhumanity of it, like, to, mm. to, to, to write, to, to put it in kind of in what they're saying they're saying like oh we call it a hostile environment i remember at first i thought it was like <laughs> activist groups I that called it like a hostile environment and then i and then i found out that it was theresa may when she was the mm. home secretary like coined the term hostile environment as that's what they wanted to be creating like the, the inhumanity is just like it's the the violence of it is actually mm. horrendous and when you were even saying things like oh they're wanting to um to remove people's rights they're wanting to remove people's human rights these are things that are that are meant to be instilled in in like international law that you should have the right to all of these different things and they are literally wanting to remove people's human rights and they're kind of getting away with it and it's it is scary how quickly things are changing and getting like significantly worse i mean they are breaking international law as you said because mm. um people are protected under the geneva convention to to get to wherever they want to get and claim asylum but they are breaking uh, uh they are breaking international law but it's not you know it's not a surprise i mean essentially boris johnson um um during the i mean when was it a couple of years ago he he literally lied to the queen and <laughs> suspended the parliament so <laughs> you, you, <laughs> <laughs> and this is it's 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 this is this this is happening in Britain, one of the oldest democracies in the world, where the prime minister can lie to the queen, suspend the the, the heart of democracy, and get away with it. You know mm-hmm. that is that is that is something that I found like profoundly shocking. Is that all these um, ministers who broke the rules, and no one was held accountable. You know, mm. which is sends the, like a, like a sends a very wrong message about how 
like to society in terms of like, okay, you can break the rules and get away with it. We're not going to hold you accountable. It's, 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 it's profoundly wrong. And, uh, yeah, and it's a bit depressing to be honest. <laughs> and it, well, it shows that the rules are that, like the rules are only there for some people, and they're not there for everyone. Because like, if certain people quote unquote break the rules, then then they mm. get punished. And that the thing that shows it's not it's not accountability that they're, that they're pursuing. Yeah. Um, this and they like it's it's really telling because they as a government they like to say they're like a law and order government and i'm like you don't give an eck about law and order for anyone and like unless it's unless it's people that you don't like unless it's people that you like are undesirable to you because of racism and because of classism mm-hmm. and all these different things and it is really really telling and i think one thing that you also touch on in the book is how much you from afar like saw britain as this like democratic like state where everyone gets a say and like all of the and the governments uh, aren't corrupt and then you said that you kind of had a really different experience of that when you um when you when you got here um yeah I was wondering if you could touch on that yeah I wanted to highlight that point because coming I mean from from Syria from a from a totalitarian you know dictatorship where um there's an I mean, there's, we do have a parliament, but it's just puppets. They are signed by the, by the regime. We do have a government. They're also signed by the regime. So coming to Britain from afar, I was like, wow, I mean, it's going to be great. Uh, and, and equality, you know, and human rights, freedom, um, accountability. It's, it's the, the, the full package, you know? And I, ha- I mean, I have to admit, it is like uh, the fact that I can, um, you know, I can go and protest outside 10 Downing Street mm. and not get arrested is something great. You know, the fact that I can, um, I can't, I mean, if a police officer stops me and they can't just arrest me for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that I can tweet and post without without any fear of being arrested for sharing my political um, uh, um, views is also great. It's a, it's a very good update. But um, um, I have a higher threshold, like I have a higher expectation, a higher threshold um, and I feel like in the past couple of years, I, I, I was very disappointed. Um, I was very disappointed. And I am worried about the erosion of democracy in Britain. And I am worried about um, creeping authoritarianism in, 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 in Britain. Because um, I don't, I, I feel like my radar for... for, for I wrote about this in the book. My radar for like you know corruption and and authoritarianism and democracy is 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 on alert all the time, and I can mm. see it. Mm. I can see that you know the the the, the police bill, the immigration bill, mm. and and it doesn't seem like it. I feel like, I mean, a lot of the a lot of campaigners, a lot of activists are doing incredible work, stopping deportation flights, you know, like mm. um, doing so much incredible work to protect people's rights, but because the Tories have um, what. 80 majority now in parliament mm. it just seems like they can pass all these laws without without anyone stopping them uh, and the solution isn't because i i heard a lot of people saying in the past few months oh i'm i'm moving somewhere else um mm. a lot of a lot a lot of my friends are moving outside the country like they're british but they're moving outside the country because they are very depressed with the with 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 the with with the with the current climate in in britain but that's not the solution, you know. That's that that would only empower them even more. Um, mm. I think the solution is getting more people to vote. I think and 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 mm. to, to 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 get um, yeah to to stop this government from passing every law they want to pass. Mm. And, ex- and exposing all these things as well for what they are, because it is really telling when these things are going through. Like they're making. Um, just as more reports of about climate, especially the most recent IPCC report, just as as that which has told us that some effects of the climate are irreversible, like sea level rise is currently irreversible, and it is going to rise. Um, just as the like, just as wildfires are happening all over the world and flooding is happening, and the reality of the fact that more people are going to be displaced is becoming more and more real. That's when this government decides to put through bills like the immigration bill, which stops people from being able to claim. Um, asylum that like that's when this government decides to put in policing bills to stop people from protesting it's very telling and i think that we need to tell the story for what it is and something that we've talked about on the podcast before is ecofascism this like idea of um like doing these different restrictions on on well-being and saying you're doing it for the planet and they have tried to they have tried to weirdly spin a lot of these things that they're they're like climate friendly policies when in, in, in actual fact what they're doing is they're seeing the climate crisis they're seeing the impacts that it's having and they're working out 
how to only quote unquote protect a certain amount of people at the expense of everyone else and it is violence and especially as the uk has contributed so many more emissions than than most countries in the world like the, the amount of emissions for such a tiny tiny island and the amount of harm that they've done to the rest of the world we've done to the rest of the world is huge and i think we need to like be clear about the insidiousness of this i think so often we let them off the i think that people let them off the hook by being like oh they're just especially around Boris Johnson, they'll be like, oh, he's just like an idiot or whatever. Like, no, he's like an evil genius. Like, he, they know what they're doing and their policy is very, like, strategic because they're like, okay, mm. the protests are getting too loud. Let's make the protests illegal. Um, oh, um, there's going to be more people displaced because of a crisis that we've caused. Let's prevent people from being able to find a safe home. Mm-hmm. And all of that is just so horrendous and we can't ignore it and we also can't let it overwhelm us because this is what this podcast is about. It's about leaning into, like, the yikes and the overwhelmingness of situations and, and rather than letting that overwhelm us being moved to action mm. and I think that that's also kind of tying this into your book that's something that I think really is really empowering is that how much I read your book and I finished it and I was like okay there is hope there is power in us as individuals and we have to act because we can create significant change when we realize the reality of the situations that we're in and decide not to be passive and not to not do anything but instead to act um as if we are in an emergency because we are like because we all care for each other and we're part of a global community and I've realised that I've just like given a whole speech so I should probably That's great speech I loved it (laughs) (laughs) People are overwhelmed you know, there are so many issues right now and people don't know, like, well, what do I care about? There's so much happening and I can't stop it all from happening. But I, I, think, I think we all have certain, like, we, we, we can do something. We all can do something. No matter how small it is, it plays a big role. And mm-hmm. people shouldn't give up. I don't, leave, don't say, oh, I'm, I'm leaving Britain. I'm moving to, I don't know, to Spain and uh, it's not going to help. <laughs> oh my it's, gosh. Joe's jo- jo- yeah. actually moving to Spain this week. Not <laughs> <laughs> For her PhD though, not for. <laughs> That's no, so funny. It's so, it's so funny because like I, for like the longest time, like I was like I can't leave this country because as you were saying, like I know also a lot of people, a lot of British people who were like so upset by a lot, especially Brexit, and then like constantly like what was going on. They were like, yeah, I think I need to like move country, and I was like. And I was always like, you can't leave this country. Like, you are literally, like, you can actually vote here. Like, you are British. Like, you must stay. Um, And, and yeah, and, like, Britain has also been my home for the last, like, five years. I feel a lot more connected to Britain than I have. Like, I've never lived in Germany, for example, as an adult. So I have very different um, kind of, yeah, connection to, to Germany. And then, yeah, and so I was, like, looking for jobs. And then all of them were abroad. And I was like... Oh my gosh, I'm going to be that person now that leaves. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. So you're doing your PhD in what? Uh, in post-growth societies and social movements. Mm, amazing. Um, yeah. Amazing. So, Congratulations. I mean, And good yeah. luck. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because like, I've, I don't know, like, I've, I like, I even call like the UK like Plague Island. Like I have a very, like, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I just like have a... Like, this country is so, like, difficult in so many aspects. And at the same time, it can also be home. And, like, mm. it can be in a weird way. Like, like yeah, have, it's, it's been my comfort zone in many ways for five years. Like, because I know the political context. Like, I know what's going on. And, like, even thinking of, like, for me, for example, now moving to a different country and learning the political... Like, I know there will be enough activism to be also done in Spain and... And, you know, to, like, be in a different space. But in a weird way, it's also, like, even though it's been so, like, even though so many shit things are going on here, at least I know what's happening. Mm. And that's, like, really weird to navigate of, like, well, I don't know who who's, like, you know, the Boris Johnson in Spain. Like, you're, like, or, like, like, yeah, like... Who's the pretty Patel there? Like, who, who do I, you know, like... So that's so funny. I thought, I thought you might know that Joe's moving to Spain. I didn't. And I was like, go off, pass that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love it. It was a coincidence. <laughs> oh my God. No, it's true though. No, but it, I, I guess it's also, you know, like the privilege of being able to abandon mm. your, your, like a place where you're staying and just choosing to like move anywhere. It, it is such a privilege and people don't mm. in this country actually realize that like you 
you're choosing to just be able to like like pack your things and and leave and like and choosing like oh like okay I don't like it here at the moment even though like a lot of like I mean the immigration bill doesn't affect them like they still are really protected even under Brexit like you know and I think that is something that like a lot of us don't grapple with who have had that privilege always mm. of free movement and like you know like last year being in Germany for the first time in a while during lockdown it was the first time that I actually properly experienced borders because I've I've always lived on on the borders in Germany there's always free movement for for me um and there's no border controls and stuff so you know for I think for a lot of us who've never had lockdown who've never had restrictive movement who've never had like any of these experiences um it was also like a t- like I don't think even even all of that was heavy it w- it was still so sheltered mm. like and it was still so supported you know and um and so what you're saying is like super real and I think a lot of us need to be mm-hmm. like a lot more like actually like honest with ourselves of like okay like I can't just leave and I can't just like you know like come back whenever I want and I can do what I mean I should yeah yeah like exactly um and you're right about how a lot of people in the west like what they've gone through the pandemic um about like you know having their movement restricted um lockdowns it's a norm for like you know hundreds of millions of people in 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 you know in Syria and Gaza and Afghanistan and Yemen and in so many countries around the world where they can't just leave, you know, because because of this lottery of life, they don't have a passport that they can cross the border with. And they're going to have, they they are living there, trying to make, make sense of the world and, and, you know, navigate their lives because they haven't got another option. So you're, mm-hmm. you're right in saying that it is a privilege. It is a privilege to be able to say, okay, I don't like it here. I'm going to pack my bag and go somewhere else. It's and I feel I feel like yeah it's a it's a privilege that a lot of people don't have. Mm. And I and like I guess one thing that I've been thinking a lot because I've at the moment I've been very like doomy and gloomy and like especially around climate and I normally don't allow myself even to get to that space and then recently I think I got a bit burnt out and then like ends up in that space but I have to keep reminding myself that like I think we have a a duty of care to each other as like a global community like. All, we're not we're not as as much as like capitalism in this world tries to like individualize us like we we aren't like we shouldn't be just like individual bodies that go through the world like we are connected to each other and we we owe each other like love and protection and that means like fighting for each other and mm-hmm. i guess in this in this context what we're talking about here like if if we can stay and we can like fight for each other here in that way then then we should and and that yeah and then realizing what things and the, the ability to remove ourselves from um especially in the UK where it's like the discomfort that I for example feel here is not the same as someone who like is forced to like leave their home um and and perhaps realizing how much of that is a is a privilege and how much of the proximity to power that we have here to create change that impacts the whole world we should be aware of that and we should use that to act because yeah because we need to care for each other and we need to hold each other and I think that's something you also you definitely talked about that a lot in the book and and that's why I think that like the title of it being hope not fear was mm. I really felt that throughout the whole book because all of the oh, things I'm that you're talking you about Sorry. could be no definitely because all the yeah, things you're talking about could could be terrifying and they could overwhelm you mm-hmm. and there were definitely times where I was like like I think I, I wrote, wrote you a message to say that like it felt like my heart was broken and mended again through the book because there mm. are things that you said that were like really terrifying of the reality of the world now and and also of your experiences but also you always like looped in how much we need to hold each other and also how other people held you along your journey and I think those are the things that really impacted me you, sh- you showed like this kind of tapestry of how we all like hold each other and look after each other and how we must do that because otherwise we're not going to get any change or get anywhere and all of these kind of changes that we've seen happen have only come because people chose to make them um and that's why yeah I think it's important that in all the all the fear that surrounds us in this world like we we can't let it overwhelm us we must like choose hope yeah in different ways. and that is tricky and that's difficult yeah. um and I definitely sound so cliche all the time being like mm tapestry um, <laughs> that is so it's true it is it is i mean is it a cliche it might be a cliche to be honest but i in my own experience having gone through what i have gone through 
I wouldn't have been able to. So if you think about if if if, if you if you start from the end and go to the beginning, so the end is like for example is like the highlight of the end of the book is when I force that government U-turn. Okay, but mm. would I have been able to do that if I wasn't helped along the journey um, of um, of of coming to Britain or even living here and all the people who have helped me? I wouldn't, you know. So it is like a circle. People can, <clears throat> people can do like people. People want to contribute. People want to help one another. I, I, I think mm-hmm. I am, and I think I don't. I wouldn't have been able to do any of the things that I've done in the past couple of years if I didn't meet all these people on the journey who've helped me. You know, who gave me a, cho- mm-hmm. a shoulder to lean on. And uh, mm-hmm. it was, it was. Um, I struggled to come up with a title for the book. It was, it was a really like it was tough. I, I, I want. I mean. I had this back and forth with my editor, like what the title, the title, the title. And then it just came to me from, because the first chapter, when I open the book, I write a, like a basic summary of what happens uh, in the book, what you expect to read about in the book. But I didn't want people, I didn't want people to be put off by how, like, because some bits of it are very bleak. So I wanted to say, but my story is a story of hope, not fear. I was like, oh, okay, that's it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, let's just stick it on the cover. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. It's perfect. It, yeah. It, I feel like it describes it so well. Like, and, mm. but in a way that I also think you're very, you're not trying to sugarcoat like the realities mm. of the world at all. Like, I think sometimes I found that I can tell when someone's trying to force hope and when it's not genuine. Mm. Um, but reading it like, it, you you tell the the, the brutal realities of, of the world and, and of the harm that is happening and um that you experience and other people are still experiencing now but you also like are honest about the times with which there have been like sh- like light shining through and there mm. the people who helped you on the way the person who gave you a camera the person who brought you like a tent the person like the people who like let you stay with them like all of these different very ordinary people who just decided to choose hope over fear in a situation gosh i'm really linking that in yeah and way. also how, like hope is like this like active commitment to new mm. worlds right and like um not just like something passive that's magically going to come to you but and i would love yeah. to remain hopeful because the past couple of months have been i was recently working on a film um in turkey um and it was a re- it was a really it's a beautiful story that we were filming um um and i was there for three months uh, and I loved working on the production. Um, I worked with this amazing director called Sally Hosseini. Um, but it was it was a difficult one for me because the story is set in Syria, so they built all these sets where like it, just these bombs and like checkpoints and stuff. And I, I, I kind of struggled a bit. And I came back where I had to do. Um, I had to start like you know this whole. Uh, process of accepting that the book is now over, it's done, and it's out of my control, and people will read it. So I, I had, I had a dip, and I was burnt mm-hmm. out a bit, Michaela, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I would like to say is because it, I do seem from my social media that I'm very active. I'm always doing things, and and and, but um. I'm not like I do have these phases where I I am burnt out. I hit a wall and I literally just like I become a couch potato for like a week and I just want to recover. So I mm-hmm. we, we we talked about people you know doing things and changing things and like being there and trying to to, to help as much as possible, but also like take some time off. Really, like mm-hmm. don't get burnt out because it's uh, it will have a very like it will have the opposite effect of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. and also like the world that we want to create we have to kind of live in glimpses of it now like I think like and that means feeling and experiencing joy and that means like resting and looking after yourself and that means I think like just yeah realizing that you are deserving of, of love and respect and of joy mm-hmm. and, and divinity and like yeah oh gosh I'm so dramatic I've realized like, yeah. <laughs> Joan keeps looking at me being like come on Michaela like chill out but no, this is the real I think that like I think we all do, we all are deserving of all those mm. things, and we're deserving of good things too. And if we like burn ourselves out and ruin ourselves, like in this fight, like we're not respecting ourselves in the way that we want other people to be respected as well. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that we're we're doing it for us as well as for everyone else. Yeah, um, and we're here for the long the long term. So yeah, mm. we have very only like short term, you know. But like yeah, we need we need to sustain ourselves yeah. for the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. 
thank you so much for coming on the pod again. Um, we were so excited yeah. when you said that you'd come on because you, yeah, we we're a big fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like both of us, yeah, I, I don't know if we've expressed it enough to everyone listening, but we um, we love this book. Please go and buy it. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that when this episode comes out, it will the book will have just come out actually. So um, everyone, yeah, sometimes around the time. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, make sure that you um, go buy Hope Not Fear. Um, buy it from your local bookstore tell everyone about it post it on your instagram um plug 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 this book because it's fantastic and i think like we also just want to make sure that we're also like encouraging you so much hassan because i i can't imagine how scary it must be to put your your life and your most vulnerable (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) all of that out there to the world um and that's brave and amazing and i think it's genuinely going to be life-changing for so many people yeah um so yeah thank you so much for that and thank you for being here again yeah thank you thank you for having me again it's the first time that i do a podcast and then they ask me to come again so that's i feel (laughs) oh you can come back anytime (laughs) genuinely anytime drop us a message you want to talk about anything we'll be keen (laughs) you can do a stand-up gig on the podcast yeah do a stand-up gig Oh, that was such a brilliant episode with Hassan. Again, I mean, the first one was also so fab. Mm -hmm. And he is just such a humble and kind human. Yeah. 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 I really, I don't know. I like really hope he's like more proud of himself. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just, yeah. It's it's been such a pleasure to talk with him and having having him on the pod like twice. Hassan, if you're listening to this, come back. (laughs) We all really want you back in the pod. (laughs) He's so, he's so, so brilliant and like, yeah just one of the best you know yeah um gem. yeah we hope everyone will go and support hassan um his socials are just his name hassan akkad mm-hmm. um and they're also linked in the show notes as well as well as a link to go and buy his book get it yep. from your local bookstore go to your local bookstore and say excuse me why is this not front and center mm-hmm. it's such a great book mm-hmm. yeah um yeah hassan deserves all the hype in the world and we all need to hype him and it's, it's genuinely fantastic so definitely get your hands on it and get one for all of your mates your friends get it for birthday yeah. presents yeah. get it for everything presents um <laughs> <laughs> we we are not being paid to say this we just genuinely love this book yeah. so much um and we think yeah hassan deserves the world um um just before we end this episode we just want to do a quick call out beyond the supporting of the book and everything also to like Please get involved in organizing against the immigration bill, against the policing bill. These are two things that will like reinforce violence against people in this country and people wanting to come to this country. Please get involved also with like other organizations such as like Choose Love and like anti-raids groups. You'll find your local anti-raids group. Yeah, like stop, like yeah, get involved with also like stop uh, the deportation um, mm-hmm. things from happening. Uh, such as like through like anti-raids um, and, and also like Detention Action is a good group you can get involved yeah um, also like um, Seebrücken which is like more like a German centre but like they do inter- exist internationally um, and yeah like please yeah just please get involved in like organising and everything like beyond yeah just like the education and like also to kind of like few topics that were touched on in the book around like um, the COVID wards and also what's happening in Syria like there, there is still things happening in Syria. Please, like, educate yourself. Mm. And, like, how also, like, kind of... Um, yeah, you can support from from Britain uh, mm. people who, yeah, are either detained or, um, like, have loved ones in detention centres and, yeah, fight fight with them uh, to end all detainee prison um, stuff. And, yeah. So thanks so much, all of you, for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, then please rate the podcast. If especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a cheeky five star. It really helps the podcast to reach more people. Thank you so much to our patrons for supporting our work. You are the real ones and we're so grateful. Um, also, thank you to Finley Moet for doing the sound magic on this episode. Uh, yeah, and I've been Joe Becker. Um, you can find me on, as Cheese and Peace on Instagram. 
and I'm Michaela Loach. You can find me as Michaela Loach on Instagram and you can follow the Yikes podcast at the Yikes podcast on Instagram and at the Yikes pod on Twitter. Um, And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. See you then.